Be good. <laughs> Howdy, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. It's your pal, Andrew. I'm coming to you from the Salton Sea in Bombay Beach, California. I'm uh, working real hard with my friend Tao Ruspoli on producing the Bombay Beach Biennale. If you haven't heard of it and are interested in it, you can go to the Bombay Beach Biennale website, bombaybeachbiennale.org, and check it out. I've been working super hard. Had a long day before me. I got a long day ahead of me. And I'm a little tired. But I'm super happy. And part of the reason I'm super happy is that I get a chance to meet and talk to people like the guests you're going to hear from in just a moment. My guest today is Jane Maru. Jane is an artist, a traveler, and a very cool person. Um, I met her, uh, here. She's going to help us with a really cool art installation that I'm excited to share with you in the future. I'll send you pictures when it's done. Uh, we just, I don't know, we hit it off right away, became pals. And, uh, she said, Hey, if you're ever in Joshua tree, you should come stay, come check out my place. And I just happened to be going to Joshua tree last week. So I went over to see Jane and, uh, I was sick. When I saw her, I had like a real nasty cold and I was getting over a back injury and she knew it and was incredibly nurturing and kind to me immediately, gave me hot tea, uh, insisted that I stay inside and not in my van, which I don't really mind staying in my van. I actually love it, but she let me stay in this really nice house that uh, she is responsible for taking care of and fed me breakfast and dinner and made uh, concoctions, these wonderful teas to help me with my cough. And uh, man, I, I left that place and was well. It's just absolutely incredible. Just nurturing and caring people can help you get through an illness. It's a real thing. So I became Jane's friend. She became my friend. And uh, I don't know, I really like her art. She does this. Uh, kind of ancient technique of uh, working with beeswax. She's going to tell you all about it. I think it's called Tianjing or Jianting, something like that. I, I'm not very smart. I don't remember. Anyhow, but she paints on like organic cottons and bamboo and silk. And um, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful work. And uh, yeah, she's very humble about how cool it all is. Uh, we talked about gardening. We talked about travel. Um she told me some great stories and I think you're going to like this episode. I certainly enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, tell your friends. I want to say thank you to our very, very patient and very generous patrons. Your support is so crucial. Tiffany and I are going to be back on the road before you know it, uh, heading towards Mexico and it's in large part due to your support. Thank you. Um, if you've, uh, this is the first time you're checking out this podcast, uh, go back and listen to, um, 
an episode, you can actually search our website now. You can go to our uh, mtp.dog and uh, you can search for episodes. Search um, an episode with Tiffany and I and a guy named Shooter. Um, He interviewed us and it explains who we are and what we're doing, our whole journey from uh, California to Alaska down to Argentina. Uh, Tells about what our goals are and that sort of stuff. So anyhow, um, if you've been with us the whole time, thank you so much. I really hope you're enjoying this show. If you have questions or comments, mtp.dog forward slash contact is the way to get in touch with us. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're just so super, super grateful. And I want to send a, um, I don't, I kind of doubt that she listens, but I want to send a shout out to our friend Jules down in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, Tiffany and I had a good friend named Kent down there who passed away unexpectedly uh, just two days ago. It's an absolutely heartbreaking, sad thing that, um, I don't know, my heart goes out to Jules and I just want to say, Kent, I love you, man. I'm going to miss you. And uh, tell all of you out there who are listening, if you've got a friend that you maybe haven't talked to in a long time, maybe send them a note. Tell them you love them. Okay. On that rather sad note, I want to shift gears and and present you someone who uh, gave me great joy to be around. I'm looking forward to spending time with Jane. I'm looking forward to Tiffany meeting Jane uh, when she comes down here uh, for the Biennale, which is coming up. Um. And uh, I'm looking forward to you, listener, spending time with Jane right now in this upcoming episode. I hope you're all doing fun and interesting things and that life is treating you um, well. (laughs) Yeah, life is treating you well. Love you. Until next time. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, just tell me your ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. You can finish the song if you'd like to. Z, Y, X, W, V, U, T, S, R, Q, V, O, M, N, L, K, J, I, H, G, F. Fuck, I lost it at the end. Oh my god, that was pretty damn good. I haven't done that in a long time. Well, that's going to be the lead into the show. Thanks, Jane. Sure. I am uh, having a lovely fireside chat on a crisp uh, early March evening in Joshua Tree, California with my new pal, Jane Moreau. Thank you so much for agreeing to uh, let me be here at all, which I'm very thankful for, and for feeding me breakfast and dinner. Incredible. And um, yeah, just for being, being Jane. Thank you. Yeah. It's lovely to share food and break bread with new friends. Indeed. So when I first met you in Bombay Beach, um, well, when I first met you, I was telling you to move your car. <laughs> not, a great, not a great start, but I think I was pretty nice about it, right? You were super nice about it. Okay, good. Uh, and I was embarrassed because I already knew I was <laughs> parking in a place I shouldn't be parking got to listen to your instinct man i know instinct every time everything. but uh when i actually got to know you um found out that you are not only an artist but you go down there and volunteer like you go and garden which is not easy in that environment uh 
Bombay Beach, for those of you who do not know, is an inhospitable environment to all types of gardening other than like cactuses that are naturally occurring. But you go down there and garden, you're shoveling, you're digging holes, planting trees. Why? Why do you do that? I, I like to get my hands in the ground. I, I like to have a relationship with plants and I enjoy the challenge of getting things to grow. And Bombay Beach is a very challenging place for anything to live, let alone thrive. Mm -hmm. And I, when I learned that Tao was doing that, I thought, Oh, he's going to need help. <laughs> and so that was my first reach out to Tao. I said, hey, my name's Jane, and I'd love to come down and volunteer and do some landscaping or planting. And then we talked on the phone, and he asked me my experience, and I would shared with him that I'd been gardening for many years and growing food. And he said, well, you can grow food down here. And I said, well, maybe. <laughs> Let me come check it out. And... It was really fun for me to have the freedom to place things and consider, you know, the sun and uh, the wind and all these, you know, working with the buildings for shade in some places, wind obstruction in other places, and just sort of curating the space with plants. Yeah. And... Yeah, I just thought, what a neat, what a neat challenge. It's uh, to great effect. I mean, you guys have terraformed that, like it's like the Mars mission or something. You've taken this salty, kind of fucked up soil and made it. You've built layer upon layer, and there's like sod there now, and mm -hmm. these trees. I mean, th I think the success rate of trees might be a little, little low. <laughs> it's it's all just a big experiment. Yeah. Things are going to die for sure. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see what doesn't die. Yeah. And there are things not dying, and yeah. it's really exciting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everything, like nothing seems to leave there. Any, nothing organic seems to leave. Like all the compost stays, anything yeah. compostable stays. All the things that do die end up being part of the, the layers of soil that we're trying to build up there, which is great. It's necessary to keep that plant detritus yeah um in again just thinking about building up and off of that mm. um high saline probably fairly toxic yeah. ground layer so it just gives uh it's building material very much so. I'm starting to see insects there, which is really cool. Like, I mean, worms and yeah. little roly polies and things that, like, man, that's incredible. You know, it just seems like so inhospitable to anything. And there's chickens and bunnies. I want to, you know, I want to get, I, I would love to see, I would also love to see a native plant garden and get mm -hmm. the bees yeah. coming to Bombay Beach. That would be amazing. And, uh, I mean, it's it's creating fresh air. Yeah. Like, you literally can be anywhere else on, you know, A Street or B or wherever, but when you come there, 
people notice it. I mean, it's very palpable, the experience when you walk in and you can even see it on people's faces, just this relaxation and relief comes over them and they're like, oh my God, it smells so good here. It's like green, it's green here. It's just, it's easy on the eyes, it's easy on the senses in that very harsh place so it's creating a, a lovely oasis it is and an oasis in a in a place that's like fairly decayed and broken and falling apart and then there's all this new art mm-hmm. that people are making mm-hmm. and uh which i'm trying to segue to your art away from gardening but they're not entirely dissimilar we can talk about gardening the whole yeah, time yeah. and be happy <laughs> well I, I wouldn't mind it either but like your your art is not entirely dissimilar from gardening in that like you're taking a, a variety of materials and building a thing that it looks like it grows. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, you. I would like you to describe your your process, but like from what I see, you make a thing and then you get it to repeat, which is like seeds, you know, repeating from a, a plant, and you make these images that that almost seem like they've grown in a way. Mm-hmm. So, do you mind um, maybe yeah. explaining to everybody what it is that you work with and what are you what are you making? these days that perspective you just shared it, it makes me think about um one of this one of one of the things i do in my painting process um i use this very ancient technique uh which is a layering process um so i begin with a layer of all all i, I begin by essentially sort of clearing my head and then I have this hot liquid beeswax that once I dip into it and start to bring it over to the um, material I'm working with, natural fibers, um, because anything synthetic would burn with beeswax. Once I, once I pick up that tool to bring the beeswax over, I just, I, I, I immediately just start designing. I don't even I'm not even sure what I'm doing. I just know I need to keep moving otherwise it's going there's going to be this build up of wax. And so I suppose you could think of that as the seed, the beginning. And then what happens after that is just more layers begin to happen as color comes in with a layer of dye. And then I use the beeswax resist to protect that layer of color. And then I dip it into the next batch. And then, so there's underneath the white of the original fabric and then the next color that I put on and so on. And it's an organic process because I'm not planning anything out. I don't have a, I don't do sketching or anything like that. And as I go, the piece starts to 
I start to see things coming out of it. And then I start to sort of enhance that. So it gets to the place where it's informing me what to do next. Kind of reminds me of when, when you're a little kid, did you do this thing with your friend or someone where you'd sit down and just scrawl out a blob and then you give it to your friend and they look at it and, and put, you know, eyes on it or make it something out of it. Yeah. It's kind of like that. I just played Exquisite Corpse the other day. You ever play that game? I've heard about it, but I've never played it. It's a, it's a similar thing where like you just fold a sheet of paper into a several sections and uh, like, okay, uh, Jane, you're going to draw the head and you leave just like a little bit of a neck. And then the next person's like, okay, you're going to draw the torso and you leave like a little bit of the hips. <laughs> and then by the end of it, you know, by the time you get to the feet, it is this crazy amalgam of <laughs> bizarre body parts. So they really are super cool that's funny yeah playing it with children is pretty cool but it's not so bad with adults so next time you're uh you know i'm one of those people if i'm like eating dinner somewhere that has like crayons and there's a little paper menu i request one for myself if i'm with kids i love to scroll I, i can't draw at all but i love to scroll and make so yeah i like the 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 concept of like building on someone else's idea, but it's kind of cool when the first idea is yours, I guess um, unconscious idea, you know, you're like having to build on this thing that you had to make, not quite in a hurry, but like you had to get it, you know, get it down on paper or get it on or on fabric in your case. Yeah. And so you're building on that idea. Yeah. It's almost like you're working with two people (laughs) like you in a hurry and then you a little bit more relaxed. And it's, and it's not that it's rushed necessarily. It's, it, it becomes a practice. It's, it's, it becomes a practice of literally going with the flow of the Mm -hmm. beeswax because it's constantly coming out, dripping out of this tool. Um, and, and so, um, there's actually, I find it very meditative and very calming, Mm. um, so the opposite of rushed. It's, it, like, it's very meditative yeah. for me, and 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 I I I spend a lot of time outdoors, looking at plants, and and it's very natural for my hand to just I think draw these organic shapes because yeah. I'm looking at them all day long. Um, yeah. I mean, we're sitting below one of your pieces right now. Is this the same process? Yeah. This thing, it's like seven feet tall mm. by about maybe two and a half wide or something like mm-hmm. that. It's an incredible piece. I'll, I'll take a picture of it, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. I'll put it up on the on the sure. website so people can see it. it. When I first saw it, I thought it was like you'd taken some rusty metal and like painted on it and like re-oxidized it and put it in a metal frame. But it's a wooden frame with fabric and just like... You just played with colors to make this beautiful effect. Mm-hmm. And they are organic shapes. I mean, look, I'm looking at like almost ladybugs and, and fins and uh, plant leaves and seeds. Mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. pretty fun. And, it's, and, and, and that's one of the things I enjoy too about it is how depending on who's looking at it, you're going to see different things. It's, you know, it's cliche to say, you know, artists typically open to interpretation but my work really is in open very open to yeah. interpretation yeah it's not like you're painting a guy holding a tree right <laughs> yeah. right yeah so what when did you start painting 
have you always been into art or was there other creative stuff that you were doing as a kid? Or? Um, I, I was a loner kid constantly exploring in nature, uh, hanging out with ant mounds mm-hmm. and watching them interact. Um, I, I was a loner kid. And so for me, insects were my friends trees were my friends like I definitely had a relationship as a kid with um all things out out of doors and I yeah I I I I took my art very seriously as a child I felt that to be a true artist that that you needed to source your materials from nature, otherwise you were just a fraud. <laughs> and so I used to um, just p- pick anything at hand, leaves, berries, dirt, and make it mush it into a paste. And where I'm from in, in northern Michigan, there's lots of birch trees everywhere that shed their paper. Mm-hmm. And that was my canvas. Wow. And I thought I was pretty cool. Yeah. I thought, I'm, I'm a true artist. <laughs> and uh, interestingly enough, I'm still sourcing. <laughs> still, yeah. <laughs> you know, I work with um, hemp and cotton and silks and... Um, different blends of all of those things and um, beeswax that I get from Bill uh, who I've had a relationship with in where I get my beeswax and honey and um, I experimented for a while with natural dyes and I got to the place where I, I, I thought wow this is this is really turning into something I need more vibrant dyes to get what I need. So I fully went into the hardcore industrial um, procyon fiber reactive dyes and soda ash and just went intense with all of it and strayed from my... Who's to say it's not natural? I mean, it all comes from... It's, it's all sourced originally somewhere in something natural. We just That's process right. and process. Exactly. It's yeah. not. It's not berries and dirt anymore. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not like it's naturally occurring fiber in the fabric. You know. Right. <laughs> like it just it, it didn't grow into the shape of beautiful silk. You know. Right. But, um, yeah. I, there's something to be said about like a, a child's perspective on what art is. You know, because I made some really disgusting art as a child out of poop to be quite frank oh what um, kind of poop my own uh, really? yeah I, I would probably be committed at this like in modern times what were you putting the poop on a wall uh, <laughs> i thought it was really cool i was very young i think i may have like disgorged the contents of a diaper and smeared it on the wall and put like tonka trucks and gi joe men and things like that in it thinking it was impressive it was not impressive the intended recipient was horrified. Whoa, you were, you know, you were working with what you had. Just, yeah, nat- talk about natural materials. Doesn't get much more natural. Uh, but, you know, the, the perce- perception of art as a child, you're not necessarily thinking the art's going to be judged 
by like any real critic other than maybe your mom's going to see it or whoever's I don't even see it. think my mom saw it. Yeah. It was a very private endeavor for yeah. me. Yeah. Do you ever catch glimpses of that kid in your process? Do you, are you like relating to that kid in any way or painting with that kid? Still? Abs- absolutely. Well, I feel just like a child. Yeah, I feel just like a child Well, I feel just like a child Well, I feel just like a child From my womb to my tomb I guess I'll always be a child Well, some people try and treat me like a man Yeah, some people try and treat me like a man well, I guess they just don't understand. Yes, people die and dream like a man. They think I know. There's, it's. I didn't, I, you know, I, I suggested that. I, I, I took that seriously as a kid, but it was also just very whimsical. I didn't, I didn't overthink what am I going to put on here. I just blobbed it on. And, yeah. And it's kind of what I still do. I just blob it on, and it just sort of works out in the end. Well, and it's, it's quite refined. Your blobbing technique has I've honed developed it in. over time. Yeah. Definitely honed it in. Yeah. Which, but, but it still is, I'm still in that organic mm-hmm. process and whimsical and laissez-faire, whatever will be, will be. I'm not attached to... And and also there's no mistakes either. You know, mm. if wax drips over here, there it is. Mm. You know, one I had I one time I was living in Costa Rica for the winter and wherever I live I'd have makeshift studios and so depending on where I am it can be interesting. Mm-hmm. And in Costa Rica, um I I had an open flame under my there was no electricity, so I was working with an open flame under my beeswax. And the chickens used to come around when I would start work, and they would just be way too interested. And I was always afraid that of the flame and the, just the chickens and their curiosity. And uh, one time this rooster came around, and this time he decided to jump up right towards the hot pot of beeswax and the flame. And I had just scooped out some beeswax to go put it on to, to some fabric when this happened. And and so it was a combination of like the splooshing up of the beeswax on the fabric and also keeping this rooster from harming itself. And so there's this big splatter that happened on that piece. And, and I thought, well, well, there it is. And I just kept going. And, you know, in the final piece, as people looked at it, they're like, oh, and this one and that part right there is just so dynamic. I just, I love this piece. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can't plan. Literal cock blocking. <laughs> you just can't. That, yes, it was the, that was, a, that was an, a, a good cock block outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, and so it's it's like nature. It's just all chaos, yeah. you know. And 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 um, you know, you have your fine art and, and refinement, and then you have this. What I do, which is just it's dynamic, you know. I, I work in 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 all different 
studio environments and, and oftentimes I'm working with the elements of wind and yeah. and and these things happening and for me it plays into the piece or you know a big dust devil comes crashing through and the piece just got annihilated with a bunch of sand and it's like now it's in there yeah and uh it's it's not a mistake it's all part of it well that's that's interesting because your travel is an enormous part of your person um and like you live what I would consider a very non-traditional lifestyle. Uh, and I say that as like the highest possible compliment that I can give anybody. Um, I'm enamored of how you put together your, your deal. Do you mind explaining what you do and how you do it and where you do it? You don't have to give addresses or anything, but you know, just kind of. Um, you know, I made, I, I had a big life change in, in the late 90s and I was um, coming out of a marriage. And when I came out of that, I knew, I knew that that was the time to embrace what I knew I was meant to be doing all along, which was experiencing the planet and figuring out a way to be a creative full-time. And so I thought, well, I'm going to experiment with this idea of barter and see if that exists in the world and see if that's a feasible way for me to swing this lifestyle that I imagined for myself. So I set out, and um, my first sort of test run was putting a backpack on my back and going to the Hawaiian Islands and I thought that that would be a sort of soft entry into the planet and uh, there's no soft entries (laughs) anywhere (laughs) Uh, but anyway that was the beginning of me just seeing who's out there what's out there and uh, and I just went without having any plan I had a, a budget and a one-way ticket with no plans, no set anything. I just wanted to land and go, and that's what I did. And so that was the that was the beginning of. That was 1997, and I've been doing it ever since. And so, I learned that. Eventually, one finds the people, if you trust that something's going to work out eventually it does and and so you know through the years you know it's been a challenge because the world's not really set up for artists and and so um basically I, i would just share with people my intention and they would be like well i know someone who knows someone mm-hmm. and so even though it was very challenging it was so rewarding um to i, I found that it made me stronger more resilient more confident to find myself in situations and having to figure out how to navigate in or out of places and 
Um, and then, you know, over time, it, I, I, it just started to flow more as I began to just figure things out a little bit more. And then more doors started to just sort of open and I'd walk through them and just keep trusting this sort of natural unfolding. And it's, it's been amazing to be able to swing this lifestyle on very minimal minimal money because for me it's been about just not paying rent because everyone works to pay rent Hmm. and I didn't want to have to and I just thought well I just won't pay rent you it, it, it sounds you know a lot of times people picture an artist as like this libertine laissez faire kind of like person of leisure almost that's but you are most definitely not that you back up all this barter with currency of like your time and attention and i watched you working man like you're a hard worker like you bust ass and when you're on a project you're going to complete that project like to volunteer to garden in any environment is not necessarily an easy thing you know and you came down there to Bombay Beach and sweated and worked just as hard as everybody else there. Uh, so I would imagine that has been what has like made you someone worth bartering with. People don't necessarily see it though. Hmm. It's I've had you know varying degrees of success and failure in, on people's land that I've care took. There's a weird thing that happens where. And I'm not sure what it is. And I've chatted it up with friends and they, they think it comes down to people being jealous that I'm in this place and doing this thing when they're at the grind. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I love nothing. It doesn't matter where I am or whose land I'm on. I, I just love to create a change in that place. I see how it can be, and then I can't wait to make it happen. And then I obsess and do it until it's done. And um, I've been all over this high desert, and um, and interestingly enough, it's underappreciated. I think not many people get it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, to just say that, well, I just don't pay rent. It sounds, you know, yeah, a lot of people that are out there paying rent right now would be... They like, don't like it. Yeah, they'd be jealous, like, ah, yeah. you just don't pay rent. You just, like, live in someone else's house and don't pay rent. There, These situations where people have a home, like the one that we're in right now, this is a beautiful home. Being empty and unused is a shame, particularly when there are people homeless in the mm-hmm. world and when, you know... They can't afford to live anywhere, much less somewhere even remotely as nice as this. But, you know, the person who owns this home is trusting you to look after it. And I can tell you, if I own this home and I came home and I saw the way that you keep it, it's fantastic here. It feels so cozy. It's decorated nicely. It's clean. The landscaping is gorgeous around. Like, it, it feels lived in. And I imagine when the person shows up, that lives here, they're thrilled to death. Mm-hmm. They're just walking right into a fully functioning, operating home. Whereas otherwise, you'd walk into something you had to clean right away. 
Yeah, or just an empty, vacuous space. Yeah. I, I love to, I, I love to create spaces for people to come into and have a, 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 a sensory experience that is um, nurturing and healing and calm and it's it's you know it's it's through sight sound smell taste all all of the senses yeah which is i did not really know that about you when i first met you and within maybe i don't know 20 minutes of meeting i asked so uh, just to give context to people listening you and i are working at uh for and at and around the bombay beach biennale uh, <coughs> and uh one of the projects that we have to work on together uh that i presented to you was this a defunct and broken um, sensory deprivation tank, like a, a float tank that was donated to uh, to the Bombay Beach Biennale, and you're going to turn it into a sensory enhancement tank. And that was the idea that I, 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 Tao and I were talking about for this tank. Like, man, it shouldn't be a deprivation tank. It should enhance the senses. And I didn't know you did what you do. <laughs> so I just thought you were interesting. I liked the way your art looked. And I, I pitched it to you. And now here in this home, I feel like I'm in a sensory enhancement home. It is all those things. It looks amazing. It's comfortable. It smells great. The food's been incredible. And you have a very like natural sense of nurture. I would imagine your friends probably appreciate that about you, like people who get to know you. So it's kind of fitting that like, of all the artists that we might have asked to, to do this, that is exactly what you do, and we're just asking you to do it in a tiny, <laughs> tiny, otherwise just, you know, cold space. I, I feel really, like, fortunate to have, to have met you to, to do that. It's, it's perfect. I'm, I'm excited to create, a, a, you know, to collaborate on that space and, and create a space for people to come in and, and I don't know, maybe you could cram four people in there. Yeah, I think you could cram. I mean, this I mean, crowd. I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> this crowd will it'll yeah. be a little clown car in there. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited about mm. about envisioning what that what that's going to be. Yeah, and I I, I kind of like the idea of every space that isn't a deprivation tank being an enhancement tank, you know, mm-hmm. or being just an enhancement. Uh, scenario wherever mm-hmm. it is that you go mm-hmm. having an ethic to like improve upon the place that you mm-hmm. you are like mm-hmm. that's I mean I don't know I've, I've met people who do that they walk into a room and they light it up mm-hmm. you know they smell nice and they're they're happy to be there and they're relishing the experience and you know uh, there's certain homes you walk into and you feel that vibe like mm-hmm. wow this person really cares about how my experience in their mm-hmm. home is where is it because you've been so like without a specific home that you feel compelled to do that or where where does that come from in you to like to curate space and create an experience i think maybe part of it comes from watching uh as a little kid my mom and dad used to throw elaborate dinner parties and and i would watch my mom create the space 
for the people to come into. She taught me how to properly set a table with all of the settings, mm. you know, the, the pro, you know, with all the things the the fork this fork for that. And yeah. there's like 10 utensils and there's five courses and, you know, and I was in charge of, eventually I learned how to do it. And then it became my job as a kid to set the table for these elaborate dinner parties where there were candles and music and, and my, my parents were entertainers. They would, after dinner, go to the piano and sing for their guests. Wow. And they would just light a fire in the fireplace and just, their friends loved coming over and they were just given this lovely experience. Hmm. So I think that's, that's where it initially came from. And my mother was also a very wonderful curator of space. She um, had very eclectic tastes. And so each room in our house as kids was almost a theme. And mm -hmm. she would just do her whim, different whims in different rooms. And each room you would walk into, you'd, it would, you'd, you'd feel a little bit different in each room because the different color scheme or the different patterns going on. That's cool. That's a... That's an underappreciated thing, I think. You know, creating that like you're, you're you're using curated space, but just like those intentional spaces, mm -hmm. you know, that you're like trying to set a tone. It's mm -hmm. not just like okay, here's your room, put your dresser over there. And <laughs> Very intentional, and you know, I when when I walk into someone's home for the first time, uh, I might come across as being rude to the person, but I'm looking around. Yeah. And and when I'm aware that like oh calm down Jane just mm -hmm. stop looking around they're gonna think you're being nosy and, and and it's not being nosy it's really just me in my mind moving their couch uh. moving this painting down three feet people always hang their art way too high and I just I can't help it I go into a space and I I immediately within a moment of being in there I click it into where I feel like it needs to be yeah. Well, I mean, you've done that. I've been remodeling and building things at Bombay, and you did that within, I don't know, a day of being there. You're like, I think we should, we should try this. And we did all the things that you suggested. Next time you come back, you'll see that <laughs> almost every suggestion you made, we've, we've put into the, to the rooms that you've been in. So thank you for that. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I wonder, though, like with your traveling, you know, you get, I've, got, I've gotten a sense of what it's like to travel um, and to live in a, out of a vehicle and in, you know, out of backpacks. I've lived out of a bike, off the back of a bike, um, lived out of a back, you know, like just a camp tent situation or just like traveling by train. So I've got a sense of that, like, and we talked about this yesterday, like um, you're always at home, but you don't have a home to miss, you know, and that sense of like, you're kind of always longing for a space mm -hmm. in a way, mm -hmm. but you, you've talked to me about like not wanting to necessarily own a home. Mm -hmm. Is that part of what fuels your desire to make whatever space you're in better? Just like that, not having a home to miss or. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, creating a space that I would want to live in and be, be comfortable in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And, you know, having come from also various scenarios of sleeping on the ground, sleeping in hammocks, sleeping in tents and abandoned buildings, you know, all through the years in my, in my quest for not paying rent and eventually moving in to a cabin and feeling jazzed. And, you know, so if there's, if there's a space that's to be occupied, I'm going to be, you know, making it livable for myself and the next people that come after me and, um, you know, paint, paint it colors that feel right for the space and the place and incorporate things that make sense to that particular place and space. Will you, um, are you comfortable talking about like your childhood? Are you, Probably. are you up for some of that? Sure. <laughs> one of the first conversations you and I had, you shared a story with me about like having a vision mm. as a child. And mm-hmm. I found that like, it, it, it triggered things for me, like personal memories, you know, and like that, that sort of ethereal quality of being a child and having like. I don't know if epiphanies are the right words, but it's just these sort of oddball experiences that have not had sober <laughs> since. Um, and it, I don't know, it, it said a lot to me about what kind of person you are. And like, I see you as a pilgrim in a way, you know, that you've got this like very intentional thing that you're trying to do. Um, do you mind sharing that story with everybody about your vision? Sure. Uh, when I was, nine years old I had a very profound experience that never left me uh, has never left me it's as clear today as it was that day Um, what initiated this uh, experience which I, I you know it's I suppose people would call it you know vision that came to me um, came on the heels of have, having um, just come home from being at a funeral and you know seeing for the first time um, it, it, my cousin who was 30, year, 30 years old had, had died of breast cancer and I had gone to visit her a bunch my parents took me to visit her when she was sick and and uh, I think, you know, my parents wanted me to have that experience as a child to see this part of life. And, you know, I didn't understand what was going on with her. I didn't know, I didn't really have a comprehension of death at that time. And then the next time when I saw her, she was in this casket, this open casket. And and my my, you know, my very tall, strong father you know, was holding my hand as we approached the casket, and then he squeezed my hand really tight, and he just started to cry, and I'd never seen my father cry, and and then, you know, and then we go to sit down in the pew of the church, and I look around, and everyone's crying. My aunts, my uncles, my siblings, everyone in the room is crying. It's sad. She's young and beautiful, and And it was, you know, it was, it, you know, you know, as this nine-year-old, you're faced with this huge existential thing right away. What's what? What is what is this? What is this? And I went, and I just couldn't wait to get home and get to my room because it was so much. 
And so when I got home, I, you know, ran up to my room and, and I don't, you know, I don't know how much time went by, you know, it seemed like an eternity that I was in that room, just all these big questions coming to my mind and I was trying to sort it all out. And I, I went and I sat, there was a full length mirror on the door of my bedroom and I went and I sat on the floor in front of this mirror and I looked at myself. I looked at my little nine-year-old self and I had the thought, I'm not gonna always be this age, I'm gonna grow up. And, and that bummed me out. I, I, I just, it was so hard for me to imagine making my way in the adult world. It seemed like such a strange place to me. It seemed like such an impossible, weird place. And it freaked me out. And and then I like I got in closer to the mirror and I looked into my eyes and 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 I I sort of I, I got lost in my eyes, I I remember just like pupil, like reflection of pupil to pupil, and then in those in those moments of me looking into my eyes, it, it's almost like I f- I f- flashed out of my body and went into this sort of dream state where I saw. M- myself almost almost like a cartoon version uh this sort of technicolored vision of me walking on this circular cartoon planet and i'm just walking around it and and when i got that vision i immediately knew absolutely knew that if I was going to stay true to myself, that my adult world would consist of walking on the planet alone. And, I, and, and somehow I, I, I knew in that vision that I had to do it on my own. And that was upsetting to me. I just didn't really want to believe that that was true, but I knew deep down that it was true and that that was my path. And I came out of that vision and I I was just crying because I thought, well, that's a lonely prospect. You know, it it, it was hard to imagine not having a family around me or what that would even be. And and then I and then I I came out of of that sort of um, experience and and then I remember looking down at my hands and and I had the thought again like these hands aren't go- always going to look like this these hands are going to get bigger and and so you know it was just it was it was a little girl grappling with these big life things 
and it was spurred by looking at the face of death. And, you know, I, as I got older and graduated from college, I, I, you know, and that always stuck with me all, you know, all growing up. And, uh, and, and in my 20s, you know, when, when everyone's graduating from school, everyone's hooking up and getting married and planning futures together. And, and I knew that wasn't, I knew that wasn't going to be me. And if I was going to stay true to this deeper calling, which uh, other things started to come into play after nine to sort of confirm that. And, and I thought, nope. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do this thing alone. And so I let my boyfriend at the time talk me into getting married. And I thought, I'm just going to hide out in here. So I did that for a while. I hid out in there for a while. And, uh, and there was always that deeper undercurrent. It was just constantly there, constantly there. And I would push it down, push it away, and explain it away and all this stuff, but it never left. It was always there. is the right word but that you've become you've become that person you know you're that that singular person walking around this globe right mm-hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't seem nearly lonesome mm-hmm. you don't have the aspect of a lonesome person mm-hmm. you and just the, the time that I've spent with you you've clearly got like a um like that the nurturing instinct that motherly type of vibe where you know in lieu of children you uh nurture everyone <laughs> and anyone that is in, in any way receptive to your like kindness and your ability to whatever lift this rock for you or plant this plant for you or make that food for you or suggest a medicine for you whatever it is um it seems like you've just made this community around that planet. It's funny because you and I have talked about like seeds and spores. Mm-hmm. Um, in your travels, in anyone's travels, you are propagating your own microbiome. You meet someone and you are now part of their microbiome. Like you're mm-hmm. <coughs> at all times being like propagated by the things that are, I continue to cough into this microphone. Um, we're all sort of like sharing this weird soup of stuff coming off of us, you know, our Mm -hmm. our skin, our ideas, our everything. I mean, like, so you've got this like Johnny Appleseed sort of journey pilgrimage that you're on, like making spaces for people, creating friendships. And, and instead of being just, you know, not to say just a mom, because a mom is an amazing thing, but you're not, um, you're not solo looking after one family. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, um, you're like raising friends. 
Yeah. Almost. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing I, I knew in that vision. There was not going to be my own children. And, and that was not part of this vision either. And, um, and I, I, you know, women talk about this biological clock and, mm-hmm. you know, I can't tell you how many times women of all ages have told me, oh, you'll feel it, you'll feel it, you're going to want kids. Mm-hmm. I, I don't relate to that. I never had that. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's a, it, it has allowed me the freedom to, um, to extend to more people into more you know adults and children alike and i'm so grateful for Mm -hmm. that to have that opportunity to um you know i I have a lot of kids in my life all my friends kids I've, i've known them before they were even conceived and it's so fun for me to get to be the mischievous auntie with these kids i get away with everything yeah and uh, and I get to you know rile these kids up and be naughty with them and mischievous and we won't tell the adults it's just <laughs> between you and I you yeah. know um, so that's really special yeah no it's a beautiful it's a beautiful way to get along <coughs> good God so sorry to continue to go off here but the one thing that I, I really um, appreciate the most about it is that it. Like my wife and I are, are we're not having kids like intentionally not doing it and for us it's it's selfish like we are admittedly too self selfish to make kids we just want to be able to do whatever the hell we want to do whenever we want to do it but what you're doing it's not necessarily a selfishness it's like a it's a selflessness that you're you've given yourself to your art you've got all the time that you have to make creative things to uh to be a good friend to be available to 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 create this thing and and to walk this path it's not selfish for you it's very at least from my estimation of you it seems like it's a purposeful driven thing that you're you're working to achieve it is it is and and uh I, you know, it would have just been a different trajectory to have kids. It would have just, you know, obviously been a whole different thing. Yeah. So I'm going to shift back to, uh, to travel and art. So right now you go back and forth between uh, Montana and Southern California, the high desert here in mm-hmm. Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a studio, I'm assuming, in Montana as well, where you... Not currently. My studios, um, ever, I, I used to have, a, a, in fact, the last sort of official studio I had in Montana was this old green elevator on the rail yard. I used to um, live and work up in the tower, and um, it was a great, great creative space for me. Uh, and that was many years ago, and I haven't had a, a studio space like that since. And so it's all been just wherever I am, you know. I'm, I'm able, I can work in a closet. Um, I'll just work on something different, you yeah. know. Um, so, yeah, I just do makeshift studios wherever I find myself. And it seems like y'all, you probably make some of your stuff on site, 
right? Like you're, yeah. I mean, you're going to be doing that at the Biennale. You'll yeah. be creating art yeah. to be installed. Mm-hmm. But it's not like you're going to create something in one spot and just install it yeah. in another. You're going to be kind of doing a I'll lot of it. I'll be doing it down there, and I'm going to be sourcing materials from down there that I don't even know what those things are yet because I, I need more time to go scavenge around. Oh, well, we got some stuff for you. Yeah, I'm when sure. When you come back, you'll see. I'm, I'm sure. I'll be happy to go through the Yeah, the piles. The heaps. Upon piles. Yeah, we got them for you. Thanks. I want, um, I want everyone to see your art because there's something else... There's another aspect to your art that we haven't even touched yet, which is, um, and you brought it up to me today, uh, there's a healing aspect in your art, which is interesting because we were talking just a moment ago about how it's up for interpretation. Anybody can see whatever mm-hmm. they like in this. But you've put into it something else, something mm-hmm. much deeper than just like, here are these organic shapes that I meditatively put on fabric. Mm-hmm. There's another thing happening with you that I'd yeah. like for you to maybe... Well, when I, when I, 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 I sort of alluded to it a little while ago, when I, when I have my coffee and have my breakfast and then I go out into the studio and I'm about to set, set into my day of, of cr- being in the creative process, um, I, I do this little ritual of maybe, you know, burning, um, you know, some some cedar or juniper or what have you, um, sage. And it helps me to take deep breaths and it helps me to clear my mind, clear the space and make it available to whatever wants to come in. And so it's it's me acting as the recipient of something that's not in form yet, whatever information is coming to me from whatever place. And and I ask for guidance, and I don't know to whom I'm asking. I'm just saying it out loud into the void. And, and then I'm very keen on just listening. And... And again, I think, you know, having the opportunity to live very close with nature and, you know, informing what's come, you know, what's showing up on the canvas. I think, I think that possibly through the act of my openness and willingness to listen to the silence, somehow something is coming through. Um, and it makes sense that it has healing properties because, because I come from a, uh, an upbringing, um, that's based on healing. Jesus's healings in particular. My mother was a Christian scientist and, um, and I, I think maybe, and I'm just now putting this together as we speak, I think maybe, uh, you know, with Christian science, they don't accept the physical body. As a kid, I never understood that. I didn't know what to do with my physical body because there I was in it. And so, I, you know, I think bringing a healing into actual form to where someone else could actually participate with it in some way, as opposed to it being this very sort of 
um, I don't know, there was a lot of division in that religion and a lot of hands-off. And and so I want to bring a more hands-on type of healing. That's why I do body work, you know, and... And I, 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 I think that we're all on the planet to heal. Each and every one of us are here to heal. It's, it's, it's something we all share as humans. And we all need guidance. And oftentimes we don't know where to find that. Some people find it in their religions. They find it in, 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 in different places and from different sources and for me it comes directly from nature so I'm very intentional with um, following what's coming intuitively to to me I don't know I don't want to start abstracting out too much here that's okay well the skeptic in me wants to like raise the question so how how can art heal someone the the you and i talked about hope you know how you don't like the word hope because it's empty it's like saying something is really good (laughs) you know it's it's not particularly descriptive and it's not an action item it's not hands-on it's like very much hands-off you know it's kind of wishy-washy it's a little wishy-washy and you know to to hope that art is healing someone um it, it's hard to get one's head around you know but i know that there's much more to it in your in your work than just hoping that people see some sort of healing aspect yeah and i don't even really have that uh, hope that people right. will have that i'm just going to keep doing the work and you know uh the experience that people have will be their own and whatever that is, is, is theirs. Um, if there's, you know, a type of transformation that happens, that's, that's wonderful. You know, that's the power of art mm-hmm. and music and, um, and, and I don't take that lightly. I, I feel a responsibility to help create, a something beautiful to look upon there's so many ugly things going on in the world there's no shortage of ugly and there's no shortage of ugly ass art there's some shit that I (laughs) it's hard to unsee (laughs) Um, and so I you know like I had had this experience one time I was it was my friend used to run this really hip great video store in Montana and um, he used he, he would have artists you know come show whatever they wanted on the walls every month he'd switch out the art and I'll never forget uh, this is this is when I was starting to move into art more full-time from my massage practice and I was in the kids section and the this painting hanging above was this like the colors were just grays and olives and just drab and, and really depressing colors. And, 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 and it was a painting of this pregnant woman 
who like had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth and it was just the whole thing was so gross and I just thought that is just the worst thing to why would you put that in the kids section is this a joke it's not a good one because the kids have to look at this and I made a vow right there and then that I was going to create art that kids could look at and 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 have their imaginations just go wild. So that was sort of the, yeah, it, it, that was a vow I took to to create beautiful things to to yeah. pe- for people to look at and 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 to find beauty. Well, in. the what you said earlier about healing, um, I, I think you and I come from a similar school of what the concept of healing uh, that I learned about in massage school, which. It's, I think we conflate like healing with being healed often in Western contexts, like with medicine, you take a pill and you're supposed to be fixed, right? You get a surgery and you're done, you're better. But healing is a process. It's not a, it's not an outcome. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's work. It's a thing that happens bit by bit. And just having like a lovely image on a wall, whereas before there was either nothing or something that you liked less. Like even that little moment is a little healing. Yeah. A quick rub on the shoulder if you're tense. Just a, just a little moment mm-hmm. can be healing. It's mm-hmm. not that you're healed. It's not that your shoulder pain's going to go away forever. But you've, gotten, you've been reminded that muscle's been touched. Mm-hmm. And it knows, oh, that, I can feel like this. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have to have my shoulders up by my ears. I can mm-hmm. let, them, let them come down. So I, in, in your um, maybe saying that your art is going to be healing or there's a healing intention behind it. I just maybe want to clarify in my own mind for myself that you're not intending to like fix world problems or, you know, it it is this tiny bit by bit of like, here's something beautiful. Here are these spaces. Here's this curated thing, these lovely images that even the child in you and the child actually next to you can appreciate all the way up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know the the way to fix the world is to fix your own little corner of it yeah. and um and it's all any one person really can can do i don't really have the the hubris to yeah. you know go out and change the whole world right. and um and 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 really i i I don't know, you know, the, our, our conversations around children and it's, it's, I feel like, I feel like kids bring that healing aspect and adults don't know how to look at it in kids. They have it. Um, we've, we, we, I feel used to have that power and I think we lost it over time as we've become cynical and, and all of that but you know healing it doesn't even necessarily have to be a process um i feel like you know we've we've come we've come into this place of thinking that everything's a process you know um and and it can be but it can also we can also just find ourselves in that place it it can be instantaneous Hmm. it's you know, and it's not this magic waving of a wand. It's it's something I'm working with currently. Um, is is this idea of like 
you know, what if I just made a decision to just have a different thought about this? Yeah. And and live in that place. Right. And not do this whole fucking process. I mean, we've all been processing for so aren't you tired? I'm tired of it. I think we're all tired of it and so I like the idea of of kind of dropping the the whole idea of process and just it, you know, I, I guess it just comes down to the being present thing. And well, then the concept of your perception as your reality, mm-hmm. and that if you just change your mind, you know, like there's a amount of working on things that you just kind of got to do. Mm-hmm. But there's a moment when suddenly the work is done, and you might not realize it. You know, mm-hmm. you can keep working at a thing that's been complete mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's hard particularly when it's self stuff, you know, I mean like healing from an injury. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know when you're healed from that injury. Mm -hmm. I hurt my back uh, last week and I'm, I think I'm okay, you know, but I'm not really there. Like sometimes I'll, I'll be sitting and like, Oh shit, I forgot. Yeah. My Mm -hmm. back is not totally okay. You know? Mm -hmm. And, but I feel in most of the day I feel fine, Mm -hmm. but there's still like when I get tired, that's the first spot. It's going to be tired and Mm -hmm. sore and achy so, you know, but at some point I will hopefully be over it, you know, right. and I won't know that's not going to be like you said, like a magic aha moment, Right. but it could be like, I can just frame it differently in my brain. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm recovering from that injury anymore. I have an opportunity to strengthen this area, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and it's just in that reframing of it mm-hmm. suddenly, ta-da, you're healed. You know? Yeah. I've, I've, I've had experiences where you know, I'll be out hiking and I'll get a, I'll hit a rock wrong and I'll get a nice little twist going on there to where it could be, it could be not good. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's, 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 it's less than a moment that goes by where I realize this is not a good place to be injured and be alone. And I do, and I think this comes from, you know, how, how I was raised. I do this really quick little mind over matter thing that somehow my ankle just turns into rubber and I just spring back. Mm. And, and it's a very intentional, very in the moment, quick on my toes decision. And I've been practicing that long enough where I see how powerful our minds are in relationship to our physical body. Um, And obviously, you know, there's plenty of scenarios where time is essential and it just is going to take time and it is a process and you have to go through the physical therapy and do all of these things. And, and yeah, also, still when you're in that place, you're still seeing your future self and that future self as whole again. Yeah. And so just being with the wholeness as opposed to being in the like, oh, fuck, I'm sick, I'm doomed, you know. Right. Oh, oh. And I think that that maybe extends the process and makes it longer. Yeah, yeah. I, I've recently experienced the power of the mind over the body and realized how little control I have over my mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> but how much control my mind has over my body. Yeah. It's a, it's a good thing to try to cultivate, 
Mm-hmm. But you know, there are limitations to everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you break your back. You can't just like think your way out of it. Yeah. But you can certainly think your way through it. Right. And, and, and control how you heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I also, um, before I know it's getting kind of late, <laughs> it's like this really suddenly very windy night out there. And like you, we're sitting next to this cozy fire. You can hear it coming down through the, yeah. the flue. Yeah, like the the flames are like flickering from the wind coming back down. But before before I sign off, like in your art, you you engage with kids. Mm-hmm. Like you find a way to like you are you teaching classes or what? How are you getting kids involved? Just whatever rando kids around. Um, I'll bring them into the studio, and then. Uh, and when I have, um, when I get a body of work, I'll, I'll share it. And I invite um, all the kids to come. I really look forward to the time that I can walk around with kids and look at each painting and listen to them create stories from what they're seeing and 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 they get me hmm. <laughs> it's good to know your audience it's they the kids are my audience yeah yeah i love that because we are all still kids somewhere mm-hmm. the whoever you have been i think remains in you mm-hmm. um, even the most cynical bastard person on the planet is still in some way retained some of that aspect they yeah. may have been a little bastard child but that that kid's in there but they were still a kid even yeah. if they were a little jerk kid yeah um and, and 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 ultimately that's 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 what you know we're talking about healing that's for me what that is is to remember our kid selves and and can and 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 I love you know, and that's that's the way I've been able to sort of def- you know been in situ- heated situations, and in the way that to to diffuse that is to find that little kid in there and and bring love to that little wounded kid because you know we're wounded adults walking around, and it's the wounded kid that's walking around, mm-hmm. you know the and and so that's who I'm speaking to through my through my art and I feel like that's where the healing lies is to um to stay connected to that time and that place that was innocent before we learned about all these ugly things going on um I was fortunate enough to be raised in 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 a bubble of nature and um uh and, and, and to sort of have the freedom to, to sort of, you know, it, it, explore being a kid. And, and so I, when, I, when I'm talking to adults, I can see their little kid. And I love looking at, at my friends' photos from when they were kids because I, I would have been friends with that kid. I would have mm-hmm. liked to hang. I knew that kid, and you know, yeah. it's and 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 we we really all are still all kids. Somehow we've been thrown into this other world of responsibility and yeah. weirdness that we have to deal. I mean, you've you've just recently lost your parents. Mm-hmm. You said they they died within four months to the day of each other. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, th- I mean, that's 
for me, I, I've always felt like a child. <laughs> I'm just a giant man child that, um, but when my father died, I definitely felt like those are the things that bring you closer to just being adult. An adult was when the older people die. Mm-hmm. As the, you know, as the layers above you wear thin, you're the next thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're ne- you're, you're the next, next in line. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're the veneer, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be soon sanded down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's to be able to keep that shine, mm-hmm. you know, to, to stay that, like, uh, we're all going to fail at it, but um, to be empathetic towards another because you knew they were once a kid. Yeah. And that they are still just trying to figure it all out. Yeah. Because their their parents are gone. You know? Yeah. They're whether or not they're actually dead, but they're just they're not there with them, you know. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with that guy in traffic, well his mom's not there to make him behave. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. to give him a break. Yeah. You know, that's an, Yeah, we all need to just give each other a break and mm-hmm. and recognize we're I I really do think we're all doing the best we can and and uh you know, we're we're super challenged right now, and it's just a good time to just hit the pause button and yeah. take a breath and remember where we came from. And you know, if 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 you have kids, you you know you you get to be in that place more often. You know, and hopefully, yeah. you know you're tapping into your kid as opposed to you know, telling them what to do all the time. Let them, let them tell you what to do. Maybe I think more adults just need to shut up and listen to their kids instead of telling their kids to shut up. I think they kind of have it backwards. Well, sometimes they need to shut up. I mean, that's plenty of times. That's real. I'm, I'm a big fan of disciplining children too. Everybody just needs to shut up a little bit more as a guy who like literally talks into a microphone to himself often. (laughs) So remember every every man or woman is once a child and soon to be a corpse all food is eventually poop uh you know we're all just we're caught in between birth and death everywhere you look and if uh if you're lucky in the meantime you'll meet people like like jane and you'll see beautiful art and uh you'll have the opportunity to be nice to somebody in between uh, life and death and food and poop, there is art. And um, I won't call it hope, but there's action that you can take to make the experience more enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, we all poop, we all die. So just be nice to each other. That's right. That's right. Be kind to one another. Indeed. And when you're not, forgive yourself and just do better next time. That is a perfect place to sign it off, Jane. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew.
Look out there, Mr. Shamlin. Yeah. Twilight falls, evening shadows fine. Tell us, Tommy. Beneath the stars, a maiden so fair divine. A moon on high seemed to see her there. In her eyes was a light shining ever so bright as she whispered a silent prayer. Hi, Tiffany here, saying thank you for listening to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you haven't already, or it's been a while, check out our website, mtp.dog. There's plenty of information there. An About tab with a little bio on Andrew, myself, and our dog Pele. There's also a Van Build tab, detailing how we did our van conversion. A Journal tab, and we, as an Andrew, are doing our best to keep that up to date. And last but not least, a contact tab, where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all. Love to all.